Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a great day for uh, you. Thank you for listening. We've got Dr. Glenn Pickering in studio. We're going to be talking about times when we feel stuck in our relationships, in our jobs, or in our lives. So that's going to be an incredible hour. And I want you to know, you can let us know what questions you might have for us. 877-933-2484. That's a text line only today. 877-933-2484. Um, but if you feel stuck, you're going to want to listen and you're going to want to get your questions ready. Uh, Glenn is a regular guest, as you know, and the book that we love talking about that he's written is called Playing Tag, You're Not It. It's a book filled with wisdom and examples and exercises helping you overcome many limitations we have in relationships. It's that old game of tag that you played on the playground as a kid. Once you were it, you tried to... Uh, Avoid everybody else. Make sure you didn't become it again. So we'll take 60 seconds to bring Glenn on, and uh, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Neil Stavum, manager of Faith Radio. You know, when harvest time comes, we review the growth over the past year. And here at Faith Radio, we've experienced an abundance of new opportunities just in the last few months, including the addition of four new FM signals strengthening our coverage. We've also seen increased use of our app and growing subscribers to our podcasts. Now, all of these means of communicating the gospel and sharing God's word have been made possible by gifts of support for this ministry. If you've invested financially in Faith Radio this past year, thanks. Your gifts are returning a harvest of blessing and encouragement for a growing family of listeners. And if you've yet to join our support team, would you make that gift today so that more listeners can learn and grow in their faith and find hope in Christ? Many listeners choose to become ongoing monthly givers and support through their bank or credit card. Or you can make a single gift today at MyFaithRadio.com or by calling 877-93-FAITH. Welcome to the show. Glad you're with me today. I've got Dr. Glenn Pickering in studio. And you know Glenn because he's on regularly. Glenn's got quite an interesting background. He started off as an engineer, then he became a pastor, then he went and got his Ph.D. in psychology. So he is a, a hot mess. Glenn, welcome to the show once again. <laughs> Thanks. Love me to mess with you. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I can always count on you for, uh, for lots of wisdom. All right, Glenn, let's talk about being stuck. All Times right. we feel stuck. Jobs, relationships, maybe just our lives. You know, I think... Two things. First, it's important to just acknowledge that sometimes that happens. You know, uh, I see so many churches, it seems like they think it's their job, everybody in that church, to act like they have it all together. And I think, but we don't. <laughs> you know, we go through struggles, we have great days, we have hard days, and sometimes we get to the place where we just feel stuck. And oftentimes it happens in a relationship, but it could be in a job, could be in all kinds of places. And, um, and I think it's important to know that God thinks two things about that. One, God has great compassion for us. 
You know, we are his children, and he has great compassion on us when we get to that point where we just feel stuck or overwhelmed or don't know what to do. So it's important to understand there's literally no condemnation in Christ. We don't get judged for being stuck. But the same God who says, hey, Glenn, I totally get that you're stuck. I feel for you, says, but you can't stay there, which seems like an odd combination. But I always think God is always saying these two things to each of us. I love you exactly as you are, and I insist that you change. And that seems contradictory to us, I know, but I just think, but if you think about your kids, that's what you'd say to them, right? I love you as you are. You don't have to perform or do anything to make me love you. I already do. But I would want for you to keep learning, to keep growing, to keep getting better and better at the things you do, to keep getting smarter and smarter and more and more experienced. I would want that for you. Not to please me. I'd want that for you. So God says to each of us, I love you exactly as you are, and I want for each of you to keep getting better, deeper, stronger, more serious about your faith, better at what you do. So I'm always struck by this. Like Paul says over and over in his letters, things like he says to the Philippians, like uh, in chapter 1 about how says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And we probably always think we're getting towards the end of a particular work, but God is always thinking, no, actually I'm just getting started with you on that one. There's lots more still to do. And, uh, and then Paul says the same sort of things. He says, you know, I know that you love one another, and that's really great. My prayer for you is that you're bound more and more and more in love and in knowledge and in wisdom. It's like, even if we're at a good place, so if we're at a bad place, God wants us to keep growing. But if we're at a good place... God wants us to keep growing. <laughs> it never changes. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There's always that wanting us to keep learning, keep growing, being on that sort of sanctification process. So it's important to understand, if you're feeling stuck, God understands. God has total grace for you. And God wants you to quit being stuck. Okay. Now, Glenn, if you're yeah. stuck, yep. you, you must feel some level of discomfort about right. being stuck. Yes. Yet, yep. here's the paradox, if, that's, if I'm using that word correctly. You, you stay in that zone because, oddly, it's comfortable. Yes. Does that make any sense? It makes so much sense. Okay, it's a little spooky. Okay. Um, so it's uncomfortable. But what really happens is we'll, that's less uncomfortable than changing, if that makes any sense. Because God is always saying, like I said, God, Glenn, I love you as you are, and I insist that you keep changing. Well, change is really uncomfortable. So to sit in that place where I know I'm kind of stuck and I'm not really changing, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, like a little, like, oh, this doesn't feel right, I know it's not quite right. But somehow it still feels easier than dealing with the discomfort of actually, like, growing and doing things that are sort of outside my current comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so we keep choosing that sort of low-grade, ongoing discomfort instead of that one big discomfort that's going to come when we just confront that fear, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that's keeping us stuck. Well, we live in Minnesota, so we know what it's like on snowstorms when you're coming around a corner (laughs) and you see some poor soul trapped in the snowbank and they're trying to shovel out and there's six people trying to rock rock them out of the snowbank. And you go on and on and then you finally, finally dislodge them and there's like this instant celebration. Everybody feels that sense of victory. Right. And yet we seem to not want to do that in our lives. I know. And I love that analogy. So let's just go with that for a second. Okay. So there's this car that's stuck. And people stop because they have compassion. But when they stop because they have the compassion, they don't say to the driver of that car, well, let's just leave it here. Right. <laughs> right? Now everybody's said, determined to get I it out. Passion, And in my compassion, I want for you to get unstuck. I just think and God is always like that with us. Like, hey, I have compassion for you, and I come alongside you, not to help you stay stuck. 
I come alongside you to help you get unstuck. And I, so I love that picture. That's a okay. great analogy. Uh, how good are we at determining what we're stuck in? <laughs> yeah, that's a really fair question. <laughs> I just read this great book by Matthew Kelly. He's a Catholic writer, but, um, and he talked about how often we lie to ourselves. And he says, none of us are as good a driver or as good a listener or as good a Christian as we think we are. <laughs> It just made me laugh thinking about that. And so um, it's easy for us to see the things that are going ahead and feeling good about that and sort of not pay too much attention to the part where we just seem to keep kind of making the same mistake over and over again. Um, but it's just really important to ask ourselves, okay, I want to be grateful for all the things that are going well. That's good. But I just want to be dead honest with myself about the parts that aren't also. Mm -hmm. And uh, that part's more challenging, I have to admit. Yeah. Here's a, a quote, Glenn, by a theoretical physicist who's, <laughs> who's, not, who's not in my contacts list, just so you know. His name is Richard Feynman. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right. But he said, the first principle is you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. I know. We want so bad to believe those things about <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, I'm just trying to figure out if, if we, uh, how we recognize what area we're stuck in. Well, here's what I'm thinking. We can tell we're stuck in relationships, so I'll just sort of take them one piece at a time. When we notice that we seem to keep having the same interaction pattern with one person over and over again. Mm -hmm. That'd be playing tag, wouldn't it? Yep, so we're stuck in that relationship. Or if we feel like, oh, gee, it seems like all my relationships, they start out great, but they all end the same way. Uh-huh. Or if I feel like... Hey, there's lots of people I'd like to reach out to, but I never quite do it. Those will all be signs that I'm stuck, that I'm not really moving ahead with my life in those relational sort of areas. And it's the same thing, I think, with jobs. Like, um, if somebody says, well, yeah, Glenn, I love my job, okay. Well, see, we should just understand, when we say that about anything, we need to know that that's, that's our spirit saying, I'm kind of done with this one. Hmm. I'm thinking. Uh -huh, I see yeah. that. That's great. I like my thinking. brain's hurting right now. <laughs> I think I might take a break. Let us <laughs> let us know what questions you have. If you feel stuck, this is the time to ask Glenn how you get unstuck. Maybe you can describe your situation, and, and we can navigate through and help you get unstuck. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four is the text line. I'll say that again slowly. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We'll take 90 seconds and be back with Dr. Glenn Pickering. If you go to his website, it's glennpickering.com. He's got this lovely offer uh, called Under the Free Offer, a place where you can get 20 minutes of consultation with him for free. So we'll take a short break and be right back. Dr. Glenn Pickering is in studio. We're talking about uh, feeling stuck, being stuck, relationships, jobs, maybe your life. And Glenn, we think of, we generally get stuck for one of three reasons, don't we? Yeah, I think number one, for example, is that we're playing the game I call passive tag. And okay. Tag, a lot of people have already heard me talk, so I'll just try and be quick about that. Tag is the adult version of the little kid game we play. You know, we play tag in our backyard, and the whole goal is to not be it, right? And I always think we have two strategies, the passive one, 
all the things we do to not be it in the first place. So we stay away from the person that's it. We keep our distance from people who aren't it also because they could become it, et cetera, et cetera. And we use some of those same sort of strategies as adults, like in our relationships. Like we don't want to be gift criticized. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to be publicly embarrassed. We don't want to get rejected. And if we're not careful, we live our life to avoid those things. Well, I don't want to do it wrong. I don't want to make a mistake. So let's say, for example, there's somebody in your family who you know you need to be kind of honest with about something. And a person might say, well, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want them to be upset. I don't want them to quit talking to me. I don't want to. That's like, right. It's, you're trying to make sure that this thing you don't want doesn't happen. But see, then what happens is I eventually just do nothing. Because if I don't want to get criticized, I don't want to get judged, I don't want to make a mistake, the only way to make sure those, none of those things happen is to do nothing. And so we can stay stuck in our relationships because there's something we know we need to talk to that person about or that we know we need to do differently or that we're somehow sort of contributing to how that gets stuck and we don't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's passive tag. That's passive tag. It's like I don't want to be the bad one. I don't want to get criticized. And so um, I always think it can happen on the job, too. Like, let's say I'm in a meeting, half a dozen people, and who's ever leading the meeting says, hey, if anybody has any ideas about this, I'd be glad to hear them. And I have an idea, but I don't say it. Why don't I say it? You don't want to be criticized? You don't want to be criticized. You don't want to be wrong. What if it's a mistake? What if it doesn't work out? What if somebody's upset with me? What if somebody thinks it's a bad idea? And so in order to avoid all those negative consequences, I say nothing. But what that means then is all the positive things that could have happened don't happen. It's the same in my life. It's the same in my faith life. It's the same in my love life. It's like if I'm really busy making sure nothing bad happens, then nothing happens. Mm-hmm. So what about, uh, I know there's so many different kinds of tag. Right. What about when you play tag by leaving? I just say, I can't talk about this, and you walk away. Right. Now, that's the game I call active tag, or the, or the active strategy. Remember, those passive things are just things I do to not be it in the first place. Okay. But if you watch little kids play, if they do get tagged, now, see, they have a whole new set of strategies. That doesn't involve avoiding people. It involves chasing people, running after the person who's closest to them, or running after the person they think is the slowest. <laughs> it's kind of a mean game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can take somebody else. So now my goal is not to avoid being it because I already am now. Now my goal is to make somebody else it. So if I'm in a conversation and I'm feeling bad, and I'm feeling like really something is kind of my fault, you see this at work all the time, you see it in relationships, and I, I work with companies about customer service about this same thing. Oh, customer calls and says, oh, I didn't get that part on time. And if we're not careful and we don't train people right, then the person who takes the call says, well, if you'd have gotten that order in by Tuesday, like I told you, like, I don't want to be it. I feel like I just got tagged. Like, now you're saying I'm the bad one. Something's my fault. And if I'm not careful, my knee-jerk reaction is to make you it instead. So I'm going to tag you. So let's say I have an argument with somebody and I say something that they know is right, but they don't want to acknowledge it or they feel bad about it. Then they're going to say some mean little thing like, oh, yeah, well, you're just so blah, 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 and then stomp out as their way of sort of making me it on the way out the door. And then they leave so I can't tag them back. Mm. <laughs> it's with a particularly mean version of that game. Mm-hmm. It's like being it, playing tag, tagging somebody else. And as soon as you tag them, say, okay, no, I'm, I'm not going to play anymore. <laughs> I'm, untag- I'm untaggable right now. I quit now. Yeah. yeah. I'm, going, I'm going inside. 
So it's important to understand that we play tag that active way too, where we literally make somebody else feel bad or feel judged or feel like they're wrong or something's all their fault. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just think I see this in my you know my day job where I work with counseling with people, especially with couples. And it's so easy for us to get into that argument. Something goes wrong, and we always want to know, well, whose fault is it? Which is such a human question. And part of my job is to help people or couples to just understand, actually, we both had a part in how that went wrong. Instead of asking the question, whose fault is it? We need to ask the question, what was my part of that? And so when Jesus says, you know, why do you see the log in your brother's eye? You don't, or see the speck in your brother's eye? You don't see the log in your own eye. He's just saying, you need to start by acknowledging, hey, what's my part of that? That's part of how we get unstuck instead of having that same dumb pattern over and over again. We're just talking about whose fault it is. Now, it's interesting to me to see, and most people quit quoting that story right there, but that's not where the story actually ends. At the end, Jesus says, now once you've taken the log out of your own eye, you can talk to the, your brother about the speck in their eye. So if you're willing to own up to your part and be really open about that, then it gives you the credibility to talk to the other person about what you think they might also need to do differently. So it's not that we're supposed to act like everything's all our fault. It's that, no, 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 I start by claiming my half of that problem, which then gives me the right to talk to you about the other half. Mm -hmm. It's also fascinating to me, Glenn, that I realized only one of us right now is at their day job, and it's not you. Uh Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's me. Uh Here's from a listener, and then we'll get right back to the prepared material. A listener uh, said, sometimes... When I'm feeling depressed, it can be so difficult to get out of it, like I'm, a, like I'm in a pit. The ladder's right there, but the first rung is a ways off the ground. It can seem almost uncomfortable to pull myself up to the first rung and break the status quo. For me and others who have felt stuck like this, what is a practical way to get unstuck and take that first step? That's a really, 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 really great question. Thank you. Here's the cool thing. When people say, how can I help myself? It's really important to understand you can't. And here's how come. Depression feeds on itself. It's wicked that way. Mm. So I feel sort of depressed. So when people ask me to do stuff with them, I say no because I don't feel like that. So then I feel lonesome and deflated besides being down, which makes me feel more down and more isolated, which makes me more depressed. I mean, it's really just wicked. So it's not my job to get myself out of that. It is my job, though, the next time somebody says, hey, Glenn, do you want to go do this with me? To say, okay. Even though I don't feel like it. So I don't have to make myself get out. I just have to allow all the people who are trying to help me out do that. Mm -hmm. So it's a simple yes, even if you're on the inside screaming, like, I don't know if I want to leave. Exactly. Yeah. And whenever I talk to one of my depressed clients, I always say, you have to be willing to say yes when you don't feel like it. Yeah. Because if I wait till I feel like it, all that happens is I get more and more and more depressed. It gets harder and harder and harder to do that. Mm-hmm. So I literally only have to say yes to what other people are asking me to do. And sometimes I even have to say, I might even have to say, but you're going to have to come pick me up. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. I just need, I just know that none of us get through this life by ourselves. We get through this by letting the people in our life who want to be helpful to us be helpful to us. Mm -hmm. So let's get back to playing passive tag. We're focused on what we don't want, so we do nothing. Is there an exercise that I could do? Uh, You know, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? Right. That's my wife, Gwen, and I will ask ourselves, we'll ask each other that question. If one of us is kind of going back and forth, can't quite figure out what they want to do, the other one will often, will ask each other, well, what would, if you weren't afraid, what would you do? 
But so often when we're going back and forth, what we're really going back and forth between is the answer that we think is probably right and our fear of saying that answer out loud. Because mm-hmm. maybe somebody's not going to be upset, or maybe somebody's going to be upset. Or maybe that's not a usual way of doing things. This just happened to me on Sunday, for goodness sakes. I, um, you know, I always go to church on Sunday. I was getting ready to go. And I really felt like I wasn't supposed to go, which felt totally weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Because I thought, well, you know, if I don't go, then people will notice I'm not there, blah, blah, blah. It's like, see, that's the thing, but people might be upset. That's a fear thought. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like, just really called, like, I'm thinking I'm supposed to be home. Okay, so then, like, 10 minutes later, I get a call on my cell phone from a client who's in a really, really desperate spot. And I thought, oh, that is so interesting. But I'd given in to my fear, I'd have gone to church. It sounds weird. But by willing to just really trust that God put that on my heart for a reason to not, not be fearful, but be just really try to be faithful, then I was there when that person called me, which is just very striking to me. Mm-hmm. So, so Gwen, and I, Gwen and I will often ask each other that question. If you weren't afraid, what would you do? And that question has a way of just sort of clarifying our thinking. If you weren't worried, if you weren't yeah. scared about what anybody else would think or yeah. how it might look, yeah. really did what you thought was right, what would that be? Who would you be without that thought, right? Yeah. Pretty much the same same kind of thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, we're going to go to break here in a couple minutes. Okay. So uh, here's a question. I am stuck. For the last three years, I've had four jobs. Mm-hmm. Previously, I've worked for years in a job. I'm a nurse. I start having trouble coping with stress. Mm-hmm. I was so certain these jobs were given to me by the Lord. I've burned out in two of the last four positions. Would God be causing me to become unhappy so I would leave work and change my complete direction in work? I'm so depressed and I feel like I know I'm no longer at the top of my game. I pray and read the word daily. I seek his answer in this. I want to be in his perfect will. Help, please. Oh, I love that question. Thank you for your question. And my heart goes out to you that that's happening to you. So I, so I want to say gently a, a sort of challenging thing, not because I'm uncaring, because I want good for you. It's entirely possible that you keep getting burned out on those jobs because you're taking on too much or you're acting like you have to fix things or you feel like maybe the burden is all on you. And, um, and that thought, mm-hmm. when I do seminars, I write the word anxiety on the board and I tell people, most people don't know how anxiety is spelled and I write it out with a great big I in the middle. Because as soon as I think, I gotta handle this, I gotta take care of this, how am I gonna fix that, how am I gonna make sure that this happens, I get anxious. Because that's what makes us feel anxious. We think we're alone. So I would challenge you to just ask yourself this. When you've gotten stressed at work to the point of being burned out, if you ask yourself, what's the pattern? What happens that leads me to get burned out? If you don't think it's the job, but you just think, okay, the one common thread there is that they all involve me. So is there an attitude or an approach or a thought a way of approaching my work that I'm doing that's creating that sense about being in it by myself. Mm-hmm. Glenn, powerful. Thank you so much. We need to go to break, but we uh, would love to hear your questions. 877-933-2484. Dr. Glenn Pickering is in studio. Go to his website if you'd like to learn more about him. Glenn with two N's, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G. He also has a lovely free offer for a 20-minute consultation at no charge. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Glenn Pickering is in studio. We're talking about being stuck. And boy, listeners are chiming in with lots of great questions. 
So, Glenn, let me uh, set set up this question. Uh, This uh, listener uh, was living a life of of lying about porn and um, made a ended up going to a house of prostitution, tried to get control, and then uh, tried to explain and make repairs to the wrongfulness, but that didn't work out as well as he had hoped. Um, he ended up lying, self-protecting, got defensive to cover up things as he was attempting to try to clear the air. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was met with the, I don't believe you, and so that's the response he's getting. Right. And the question is, what can I do to change this mess I've created and he feels he's stuck with? Now, here's the really cool thing. Hey, thank you for being so honest. I just no love kidding. that. I, so honest. Yes. I. Yep. I'm just touched by that. It's important to understand this. When, somebody, when you've been lying for a long time and now you want to tell the truth, and somebody says, well, I don't believe you, instead of being shocked by that, you should think, well, of course you don't. And so instead of trying to convince them, you should say, yeah, I understand. This is going to take a while. And to understand, you don't regain their trust by telling the truth once. Right. You, tell the, you gain their trust by just showing up consistently and telling the truth. So if they say, I don't believe you, it's your job to say, I understand. In fact, I kind of appreciate your honesty. Thank you. Um, and it's going to be my job to just keep telling the truth until you can see there's not a one-day thing. This is a... This is what I'm really trying to be. And gradually, they will come to understand that you are actually telling the truth, and that will take a while. Mm-hmm. Just like it took a while to destroy their trust, it will take a while to build it back up. And so it's your job to just keep telling the truth. And um, and if it takes a while, well, so be it. You know I mean? It's, it's important that that will always be true. Mm-hmm. All right, so you're not really stuck. You might not be getting the answer yet that you want, but you're not stuck. Because mm-hmm. if you keep telling the truth, I promise you, that will shift Yeah, you're time. not stuck, are you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the uh, three reasons that we generally get stuck. And one, of course, was we were playing uh, passive tag. Right. We're focused on what we don't want. Right. So we do nothing. Right. All right. And then another one is about wrong beliefs. Would you talk about that? Yeah. Last time I was on here, we got a chance to talk about fables, about those crazy beliefs that we develop in childhood um, about how things are. Like I grew up in a really poor family um, and... You know, the people in my family were mostly someone on the autism spectrum, just like me. So we didn't have a lot of things. I also didn't get a whole lot of attention or affection. And so I really, literally grew up with the idea that I, I, there's lots of things I want, but I'll never have them. I'll never have as nice, nice things like other kids. I'll never have friends like other people. I'll never feel appreciated like other people. And so and then when people come along and say, hey, you can have what you want with God's help, you know, freedom in Christ, you can create the life you want. I think, uh-huh, I'm sure that's true. For other people. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I have that belief. And so we need to understand that one of the things that gets us stuck, besides our fear of doing the wrong thing, is these beliefs we have that keep us from even trying. And now here's why those beliefs are so wicked. They have then, in the end, the same effect as playing passive tag, which is that we do nothing. Because if I really believe, well, like I had a client the other day I was talking to, and she grew up in a family that basically... Their motto was, what's the use? It's never going to work out anyway. So even if one of them has a great idea or an inspiring vision or even just a fun thing they could do with their day, they don't do it. And, and my client had realized, well, I have this idea. So even if I think, okay, I'm ready to do a new job, I even kind of know what that looks like, I even kind of know the first few people I could network to see about that, yeah, but... And then they don't even do it. 
And now my client's just really learning, no, I'm going to go do those things. Mm-hmm. But that crazy belief I have in my head is really mean. And I always think, here's why that's so important to our faith. I think all that Satan has to do is convince me that really my efforts will never amount to anything anyway, so then I don't try. And I'm never in the kingdom, and I'm never doing anything for the kingdom because I'm doing nothing. And I just think it's so important to understand we are called to a life where we do stuff. And even if you make mistakes, so what? That's how you learn. So we get caught up in that, those beliefs that we have in our head that keep us from trying things. Now, Jesus says in Luke 9, nobody who puts his hand in the plow and looks backwards is fit for the kingdom. And in my younger days when I read that, I would think, man, that seems kind of harsh, almost mean-spirited. But he's just trying to say, as long, basically, in part, as long as I keep holding on to those old beliefs about myself, I can never create the new life or the creative life or the amazing life that God really has in mind for me. And so I have to be willing, just like Paul says in Romans 12, you know, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I can't hold on to my old ideas and create a new life. So I have to be willing to really, really see those ideas and become what I call a second responder. And I talk with my clients about this all the time. Yes, that first belief goes through your head for a second. That's okay. I don't know if we can do anything about that. But we can pause long enough and think, no, what do I really think about that? How do I really feel about that? What do I really want to do about that? And let me and God kind of work on that for two or three seconds and come up with a way better answer. So, Glenn, what if you want to try to live with a new vision and you want to stop playing tag, but the people in your life don't want to go along with your new vision? Um, and keep playing, keep keep playing tag, and try to keep pushing you back into your fable. Guaranteed, that's not an if. Okay, that's a that's a certainty. Huh? Given that some people will do that, which is how you learn that behavior in the first place. So I just need to understand that will happen some, and and I probably even know who those people are if we're dead honest. Mm-hmm. And I just know that when Jesus said, you know, I will help you to become a new creation. Part of a new creation is I start to develop a new community and new relationships and new people. Now, some of the people in the community can be the ones who were in my previous community who really did believe in me and who really did want me to do stuff with my life. But there might be some people who just can't come with me, and I just have to acknowledge that they're not coming. And I might have to form a community that doesn't include them. Mm -hmm. So if our wrong beliefs are interfering with our abundant life, is there a goal we can work towards? Yes. What I think is this. Um, sometimes people say, well, Glenn, I don't even know what my vision is. I think, okay, could be true. Because they have this sort of, and we all do this, we have this grandiose vision sort of of what our calling is. But the truth is, our calling shows up every day, always. So I ask people, carry on a little notebook, write things down on your iPhone, do whatever you want. Just notice every time you're happy, even for a minute, Every time you did something that was really fun for you, or every time you were doing something that you really look forward to, because I promise your calling looks a lot like that. The things that you like, the things that you look forward to, the things that you're good at, that bring you joy, well, that's probably, your calling looks a lot like that. So I get unstuck by just noticing what are the things that happen every day that bring me happiness, joy, connection, a sense of purpose. And it will be little things. Mm-hmm. Um... That's really interesting because you can probably spend a whole day where you have all these good things happening, but you're not aware of them at all. You're not recognizing them. Right, right, exactly. Like, um, 
This is probably true of all of us. I know it's true for me. I have a way of being able to sort of see people's gifts. And so just last night I was in this really great little um, generous, giving little small group meeting at our church. There's this one older gal there who is just so, it sets a sense of calm and peace about her. And she didn't really say much during the meeting, but I went up to her afterwards and said, the gentleness and the calmness that you bring to this meeting just really helped me feel at peace just being in the room with you. And she just said, oh, this blesses me so so big that you said that to me. And I feel like all I did was say what I was thinking. And sometimes when I talk to people about things like that, they say, well, it seems kind of random. I was hoping for an overall purpose. And I think to myself, read the gospel. <laughs> Not just those little snippets we hear in church, but, mm-hmm. you know, read a block of it. Yeah. And if you read a block of it, you can't help but being struck by the randomness of it. But Jesus was walking along, and the woman that had a bleeding problem comes up to him and touches him. Okay, great. Later on, somebody calls him, bumps into him and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered that question. Later on, he's walking down the road, and somebody else asks him. I mean, it's like yeah. he just brings his wisdom and his love to whoever shows up in front of him. And I think that's our job, too. Yeah. I had a listener chime in. Great. Um, just making a, com- a comment. Um, love your show. And Glenn, he made a comment about fear and gave an example of missing church. I can imagine fear. Should I stay home, et cetera, because something bad is going to happen? Is God trying to warn me? Thank you. You know, right, right, right. Those probably thoughts that run through people's head. Right. You know, where did I get this thought to stay home today? Is God trying to warn me of something? Right. Now, how do you process that? Well, here's what I know. When God puts something on our heart and we can sense the rightness of it, but we don't know why, if we try and figure out why, we'll always be wrong. Because we're going to come up with our own little human explanation for it, and we'll always be incorrect. But if we just actually do the thing God puts on our heart and then watch what happens, then we'll think, oh, that's why. Mm. But if I try and figure it out ahead of time, honestly, I will be wrong every time. Yeah. All right, talk, uh, Glenn, talk about slowing down and recognizing the big reactions. Oh, thank you. Yes, we talked about last time a little bit about fables, about these crazy ideas that we have that run in the back of our head. And we believe those ideas so intensely that when one of those ideas gets triggered, we have really, really big emotions about it. So um, so I was brought up in a way that made me feel like I was unimportant. I didn't really matter like that. And, um, you know, because if you're as shy and quiet as I am, you know, mostly you don't matter. Um, you're just really easy to ignore. So if, um, if somebody forgets to include me on in an invitation to something, I don't think, oh, that's a little annoying. There's this really, really, really old part of me that thinks, see, I don't matter, you don't care, you say you love me, but you don't. I mean, I can just literally hear those thoughts running mm-hmm. in the back of my loud head. Loud and clear. They don't make any sense, but they are so loud. And because they're so big, those thoughts, they trigger this really intense emotion. So I can feel really mad or really hurt or really disappointed or like I just want to shut down altogether. So I just know, and I want the listeners to understand, anytime you have an emotion that seems way bigger than what's actually happening, it's important to understand that emotion is being triggered by those thoughts you have that run in the back of your head that are really black and white, because we come up with those when we're little kids, and little kids are black and white thinkers, and they're not true. I get that they feel true, but they're not. Well, so anytime I feel, 
I used to, because I was so, so shy and quiet, I wouldn't speak up about anything unless I felt really intensely about something. Then I would feel like, okay, i got to say something about this. But I've come to understand that's the one time I should never talk. Because <laughs> you're bursting out of the scene with all this energy and emotion. All the energy that comes out of these thoughts that yeah. aren't even real or true. Yeah. Wow. Right. All right, Glenn's got a uh, lovely seminar coming up yes, December 7th in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. For those who live in this vicinity, it's called Breaking Free. I think a lot of this that we're covering today is going to be yep. a part of that yep. presentation. Yep. And if you want more information on that, go to Glenn's website, glennpickering.com, and just go to the section where you can get a free 20-minute consultation with him. And just in that section, type, send me info on that Breaking Free. And there's no pressure. He'll just send you info. All right. Let me take a little break. If you have questions for us, let us know what they are. 877 933 2484 877-933-2484. Text only. We'll be back in a minute. So nice to have Dr. Clint Pickering in studio t- today, and we're dealing with being stuck. And lots of interesting questions are coming in, Glenn. I love that. As you know, <laughs> this is a, a tricky one uh, for sure. This listener, I'm stuck with chronic illness, which has prevented me from going to church for the last nine years. I also have MS, and I get sick from perfume and other sorts of scented products. Um. So it's hard on the kids. My son with autism won't go to church without me, so my husband and daughter go without us. Mm-hmm. No one at church has really been able to help. Not quite the stuck you were talking about, but I was literally just praying for a new way of looking at this. It's I very, love that. It's very right. isolating, yep, which absolutely. just feels wrong for a Christian. Right. My yep. calling is to be wife and mom, so not going out is what I have to do to keep well enough to just do that. Right. I just wish there was a way to be part of the body of Christ, too. Now... Uh, I'm very touched by that, so I want to say that first because you might not like my answer. I can't start off by saying I wish there was something I could do because what I'm telling myself is there isn't. And that thought will keep me from actually getting help or even looking for help. So it's important to think, okay, what can me and God do about this? That's a way more helpful question. And I'm not saying I know all the answers. I, I'm clear I don't. But I do have some of those same allergies. And, you know, I'm autistic, so I get all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get why her boy wouldn't like to go out without her because autistic people tend to have one person that they feel sort of connected to and they don't like going anywhere without that one person. I totally get that. Um, so, um, so it's important to think, okay, I'm open to whatever healing might look like, and I'm going to pursue anything I can do about that. For example, my wife loves this guy in Richfield, Dr. Wilson. He's a chiropractor who basically his whole job is he helps people get over allergies. And so um, it's entirely possible that you're going, to, you're going to go see Dr. Wilson and he's going to help you with that allergy so you can start going to church. But again, but I have to be, I can't say to myself, I wish there was a way. I have to be open to think what will be that way so God can actually show it to me. That I literally have to be open to receiving whatever gift God is that God wants to give me. So um, so I don't mean to sound judgmental. I just mean it's really important that I be open to believing that there's something could happen here. Because as soon as I say, I wish there was, see, that thought 
that thought keeps me stuck. So it's important to kind of be careful about our thinking. Mm-hmm. That's a, appreciate your, your answer, Glenn. Um, another listener said, uh, how do I handle some emotions I have with my father? Who says he thinks about me, but, you know, we don't really communicate. And if I didn't call ever, the next thing I would hear is that he passed away. So I'm not sure how to express my feelings without guilt tripping. Now, here's a little tricky thing. Remember, it depends. Our thinking matters. If I say, how do I express my truth without creating a reaction? See, I now think I'm in charge of somebody else's reaction. Mm-hmm. But it's really important to know that I'm not. Wow, that's, that's really spot on. <laughs> so it's important not to think, how do I tell the truth without causing a certain reaction? It's important to just ask the question, if I was going to lovingly tell the truth, how would I do that? Period. Because how they react is up to them. And you see it over and over in the gospel. Jesus preaches, he tells the truth, and some people listen and follow, and some people get all ticked off and walk away, and it's up to them. I mean, it's like, so it's just our job to tell the loving truth, and it is our job to be loving, it is our job to tell the truth. But how people respond to that is not our job. And so as soon as I think that's part of my job, see, now I'm stuck. So I'm not stuck because I don't know what to say, it's because I'm stuck because I think I'm in charge of how pump somebody reacts to what I say. That thought will keep me stuck. Because I'm not. Right. But you could spend a lot of time feeling stuck as you're trying to formulate the perfect thing to say to get the response you want. Right. Which right. is insane. Right. Exactly. It's insane yeah. because they're in charge of their own response. They're, yeah. They're you can't control that. They're free to respond well, graciously, defensively, stupidly. I mean, they're going to respond however they respond. Mm-hmm. It's really just my job to tell the truth. Yeah. Now, we're talking about the, what, how we get stuck, and there's really three reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one we chatted about was we're playing passive tag. Right. We're focused on what we uh, don't want, yep. so we do nothing. Yep. And then the other one was our wrong beliefs truly interfere with our abundant life. Right. Talking about the fables the last time you were on, and yep. these thoughts keep us stuck. Um, and then the third one is we think that we're in charge of the what and the how of this new vision that we're going to have. Right. So and, say more about that. Well, thank you. Because it says in Matthew 7, you know, ask and it shall be given unto you. Many, many people come to me and say, Glenn, Glenn, I kind of know what my vision is, but I don't know how to make that happen, so I'm sort of stuck. And I think, right, you're stuck because you think you're not, you have to know how it's going to happen. But the scriptures are really clear. We're in charge of coming to God and asking for what we want. God's in charge of how that's going to happen. Which is why when people say, oh, doors started opening that I couldn't have possibly made open myself, I think, right, because see, we're not in charge of the how, we're only in charge of the what. Like my little kid comes to me and says, Dad, I want to go to my friend's house, but it's a couple miles away. I don't know how to get myself there, so I'm not going. Well, of course, you're a little kid. You don't know how to get yourself there. Of course you do. <laughs> That's why I'm here. You know what I mean? It's like, and our Heavenly Father's the same way. It's like, of course you don't know how. But I can see a million ways to bring that to you. <laughs> yeah. I can do lots of things that will help you in that. You just tell me what you want, and I'll start working on how to bring that about. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand we get stuck if we think we're in charge of the how, because mm-hmm. we're not. And then we start trying to do our job and God's job, and it doesn't work. So we have to come to God, just being clear what we want, asking for what we want. Mm-hmm. And that's not selfish, is it? No, it's not selfish. In fact, um, you know, Jesus loved to talk in parables, and one of them he talked about is about a little mustard seed, and it starts off really little, grows in this big bush. And people talk about, yep, that's the kingdom. It starts off really little, grows way bigger. And that is part of the story. But that's not where the story ends, although that, again, is where people often quit quoting that story. 
Jesus said, so it grows in this big bush so that even birds of the field can nest in its branches. And I think, right, see, if we are doing kingdom living, yes, big things will happen, and it won't just benefit us, it will benefit everybody around us. See, because here's what's really true. All of our callings are relational. If you ask anybody, hey, what are you hoping to have on your tombstone? They're not going to tell you about their accomplishments. Well, I made so much money as a president of the PTA, blah, blah, blah. They're going to say things like, he was a great mom, she was a good person, he really cared a lot, he made a difference in his community. And we really get, see, the things that really matter are all relational. <laughs> they're not outcomes, yeah. they're the way that we treat people. And if you read stories about people who had near-death experiences, you know, which I love, they cross over, they die, cross over, and then come back, tell us what it's like. They say that God shows us this life review, and in that life review, it's not about our accomplishments. It's about we see everything we did and how it impacted all the people in our life. So the one thing God cares about, relational. Mm-hmm. So in every vision, everything we do that God calls us to do that we feel really excited about doing will be relational. So it would be super blessing to me to do it and a blessing for people who receive it. So to say it's selfish is really a crazy thought. Yeah, my tombstone's probably going to say, ignored the advice. Ignored most advice and did whatever <laughs> we felt like doing. But mostly it's working out for you, so. So this is uh, interesting, Glenn, because I think all of us feel stuck at some point. We right. are going to go through a, a season in our life where we're just stuck, stuck, stuck. And um, just as a review for those just climbing in their car with a couple of minutes we have left, God certainly has compassion for us and he understands right. yep. uh, why we feel stuck, but he doesn't want us to stay there. Right. And... There's, uh, you know, I know a lot of listeners right now that just tuned in that probably could use a nice word of counsel from you, uh, encouraging them to get unstuck. Right. It's important to understand when we feel stuck, the first thing we do is we tend to kind of recite to ourselves a reason why we're stuck, probably a whole list of reasons. And so we're sort of justifying to ourselves that we're stuck. So the first step is to understand none of those reasons make sense to God. God's like, yep, I know how you got there. I have total compassion for you, and don't stay there. And please don't give me your list of reasons why you have to stay there. I don't want to know your list. Now, that might sound a little blunt, but it's important to understand, God's not blunt with us because he doesn't care about us. God's blunt with us because he doesn't want us to stay stuck. He wants us to have a bigger life than that. So mm-hmm. so we talked about how sometimes when we are stuck, we're playing passive tag, where we're just trying not to do anything wrong, so we do nothing, or we have these crazy beliefs that keep us from living into our vision, or... We have a vision, but we think we're in charge of not just the vision, but making that vision happen, which is actually God's job. And see, the result of all three of those is that we do nothing. And so fundamentally, more than anything else, if we have a vision, we need to ask ourselves hours, 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 what's the first step I could take towards that vision? Telling, quit telling yourself why you can't have it or why you're stuck or how you got here. The mm-hmm. first question is only, what is one thing I could do to start changing that? One thing. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, that's how everything happens. God just takes everything and builds on it one step at a time. So I don't have to figure out the whole thing. I just have to figure out what's a step I could take in that direction. Mm-hmm. And Glenn, talk about uh, being good versus being nice. Thank you. I, um, we get stuck because we think we have to be nice. I hate that. And I, I grew up in a family that taught me that the opposite of nice was being mean. But now I get the opposite of nice is being good. Nice is a whole list of things we won't do. I don't cut in line. I don't say bad things about other people. I don't burp in church. The whole, so I could literally do nothing and be nice. Mm-hmm. But see, I've really come to understand goodness is a powerful, positive force in its own right. It's the intense desire to make a difference in the world. 
So you see, in every gospel story, Jesus is never nice. Nobody comes up to ask him a question, and Jesus says, Oh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I don't really want to offend anybody here. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. tells whatever his powerful truth is because he wants to make a difference. Yeah, and that's so, good. Right, and so we're stuck when we think, well, I have to be nice. And I think, no, you don't. You have to be good. And being nice is just which, another way which to Which is not stuck. the default response for most people. Right, I know. They think that that's wrong somehow. Especially if you live in Minnesota. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Glenn, uh, these hours go fast, don't they? Yes. Yeah, let's remind listeners uh, a couple of things. GlennPickering.com is the website. That's two N's, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G.com. He's got a couple uh, wonderful things. He's got some books and resources and available for counseling. Um, and he also has got a lovely offer. If you would like a, a free 20-minute consultation with him on the phone, he'd be more than happy to do that. And I've known Glenn for a long time. He can cover a lot in 20 minutes. It's uh, very condensed. Mm-hmm. He also has a nice seminar coming up uh, December 7th uh, in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. It's called Breaking Free. If you've felt stuck, it'd be a good one to check out. Go back on his website and go into that section where you can get a free consultation. And just write in the, in the, in the little message area, send information on the Breaking Free. And he'll do that. No pressure. He just wants you to be aware of it. That's all. Glenn, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. It is always fun. Uh, We're going to take a little break because hour two is just ahead. All right. Looking forward to uh, talking to Kylie Crossland. She's going to be my first guest. And then uh, also uh, Brent Kuhlman is going to be talking as well in second hour. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Thanks for uh, being with me. Thanks for listening and supporting Faith Radio. We'll take a short break and be right back with hour two. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.